with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We are going to spend the month of November looking at passages from Psalm 119 together. Psalm 119 is one long love song. Uh, it's a love song that where the psalmist is declaring his love and his delight in the Word of God. And a lot of you guys might know this about me, that uh, I'm a musician. And music has always been a hobby of mine, a big passion of mine, sort of playing guitar in middle school. So I'm no stranger to love songs. I've written a couple in my day, some better than others. Uh, but I'd like to begin this sermon by sharing probably the finest piece of musical art uh, that I've ever composed. Uh, so in high school, there was a friend of mine who wanted to ask a girl to homecoming. Uh, and so I thought it would be a good idea if I wrote a song for him to use in asking this girl to homecoming. And uh, her name was Samantha. I only share that detail because it's in the song, so I kind of have to. But I wanted to read to you guys these lyrics. Pink or purple, red or blue, you pick the color and I'll match you. I got your dinner, baby. It's no trouble. A large sweet tea and two McDoubles. Sammy, Sammy, you're so stunning. Come with me to our homecoming. I wrote you this silly song so you would dance with me all night long. And here's the best part. So, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so, uh, so here's the best part. He brings his guitar to school, sings her this song, and guess what? She says no. <laughs> so my songwriting career got off to a bit of a rocky start. Um, but we're going to study a love song that's a lot better than that, with you know, a lot more depth and content than that. And that is Psalm 119. Now, this psalm is the longest chapter in the Bible, just to start by giving you a little bit of background, 176 verses. And the big theme of this song is the delight and the love and the passion that the psalmist has for the Word of God and his desire that God's Word would shape and transform his life. And now, something really interesting about this psalm from a literary standpoint. This verse, the psalm, as I've already said, 176 verses. It's made up of 22 stanzas of eight verses each. There's a very tight structure. And each stanza begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's called an acrostic, meaning that each verse of each stanza begins with the same letter. So think about how we do that as a memorization tool, even for children. If you look at those books, that's like A is for apple, B is for bat. C is for cat, so on and so forth. That's the idea in this psalm, that each stanza begins with another letter to help us remember it. And there are eight different words that are used in this psalm to refer to the Word of God. So the main idea of this psalm is the love and delight that we should have for God's Word. And so my heart and my hope, as we study passages from Psalm 119 over the next couple of weeks, we won't be able to study every verse in this psalm, but my hope is that we will grow in our love and appreciation for the Word of God and our commitment to walk in obedience to it. So this morning, we're going to study just the first eight verses, the first stanza together, and here is the main point. Blessing comes through obedience to the Word of God. Very simple. Blessing in our lives ultimately comes as we walk in obedience to the Word of God. So with this in mind, let's read these first eight verses together, and then we'll open with a word of prayer. 
Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for your holy word. We thank you, Lord, that it's true. We thank you that it's life-giving and life-changing. We ask, Father, as we study your word this morning, that you would use it by the power of your Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, use this word to make us more like your Son and to show us the path that you would have us walk on for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've already said, the main point this morning is very simple, that blessing comes through obedience to God's word. The blessing in our lives comes through obedience to God's word. And even as we're talking about that this morning, I want to make something very clear right at the outset of the sermon. Now, we're going to talk a lot in this sermon about the idea of obedience. The idea that as followers of Christ, God has certain commands in his word that you and I are obligated to obey in order to glorify him. But my fear when I preach sermons like this is that you will walk out of here with the wrong message. And I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. My fear in sermons like this is that you're going to walk out thinking, I just have to go out and be good so that God will like me. You might walk out of here thinking that God's love for me rises or falls based on my obedience. That you would walk out of here thinking that the way that we earn our salvation is by being good, by our good works. That could not be farther from the truth. Church, the reality is that we obey as an overflow of love and worship for the God who has already saved us who has already redeemed us through Jesus Christ, and that our walk with Christ is an overflow of that. This is the way that Colossians 2 puts it. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord through the gospel, now so you walk in him. What does it mean to receive Jesus as Lord? It means receiving the gospel. Of course, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he is fully God and fully man in one person, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, bearing our sin and shame in our place, that he bodily rose from the grave three days later so that whoever would turn away from their sin would believe the gospel and receive Christ into their life, would have eternal life. We are saved not by our good works, not by our obedience, but by Christ and Christ alone when we receive him into our life. But now that we are saved through the gospel, the overflow of that is to walk with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us, empowering us moment by moment, day by day, to walk with Christ and now to live in obedience to what he has commanded. And so this morning, as we're talking about this blessing that comes from obedience to the word of God, I had to make sure in the beginning of the sermon that we placed that in its proper context in our lives. It's not so that we can be saved. 
It's because we are saved that we want to obey in order to love and serve and express our gratitude for the God that has redeemed us. With all that in mind, now let's jump into Psalm 119 verse one, where we are taught to walk in God's word, to walk in God's word. Look at verse one with me. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Let's break that down. It begins with the word blessed. This could legitimately be translated as how happy are the ones. This idea of blessing, it means happiness, joy, peace, contentment because of who God is for us. We all want that, don't we? It's okay to say yes. It's okay. Like we want to be happy. That is a normal, legitimate human desire. But so few of us are. You know, in a recent survey, only 19% of Americans characterized themselves as, quote, very happy. We're not happy. But this psalm begins by showing us the pathway to a genuine life of happiness, to genuine blessedness. And here's the key. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has nothing to do with what's going on around us. It said, blessed is the one whose way is blameless, who walks in the law of the Lord. That genuine happiness, genuine blessedness comes through this life that is lived for Christ in obedience to his word. It's so similar to how the Psalms begin, the very beginning of Psalm 1, that says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That this life of blessedness comes not from walking with the, the wicked, but by delighting and meditating on the law of the Lord. It said, blessed is the one whose way is blameless. By the way, that doesn't mean perfect. The Bible describes Noah as blameless in Genesis chapter 6. How many of y'all know he wasn't perfect? What about Job? In Job chapter 1, he's described as blameless, but he was not perfect. It means rather a consistent character a life of integrity, a life of faithfulness, a person whose life is lived in obedience to the word of God, who walks in the law of the Lord, as this says. Blessedness comes as we walk in the law of the Lord. I want to pause here for a minute. The psalmist writes this entire long psalm about his love and delight in God's word. And how much of God's word did he have access to at this time? About this much. How much of God's word do you and I have access to at this time? About this much. Namely, the whole thing. So let me ask this question. If he is overflowing with praise and delight in the word of God, how much more should we? We have the whole picture. We have the completed canon. We have the New Testament. Listen to what Scripture says about itself in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Timothy 3, sorry. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This means that all of this scripture, it comes to us from God, it is inspired by God. And because of that, it is completely true, free from error. Because of that, it is the final authority in our lives, in our world, in our church. 
And because of that, it is sufficient for us to make us equipped for every good work. So this true blessedness comes when we receive this book for what it is, the word of the living God, and we seek to live our lives in accordance with it. Not just knowing it, but doing it. As James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is the command and this is the invitation that blessedness comes as we walk in the law of the Lord. But how do we do that? When we seek God with your whole heart. This is what verse two tells us. When we seek God with our whole heart. Verse two, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Keeping God's testimonies here is synonymous with walking in the law of the Lord. The idea here is obedience to what God has revealed in his word. But verse two shows us the heart that we ought to have as we do this. Seek him with their whole heart. So obedience is the command. Seeking God wholeheartedly is the heart posture. It means that as we seek to live our life with God and and walk with Christ and obey what God has revealed in his word, we do it with an undivided, single-minded, complete focus on pursuing God above all else. And as we do that, this is the promise that God makes to his people. Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Not half-heartedly, not distractedly, with all of our heart when we pursue God. As always, Spurgeon put it better than me. This is what he says. Seeking after God signifies a desire to commune with him more closely, to follow him more fully, to enter into more perfect union with his mind and will, to promote his glory, and to realize completely all that he is to holy hearts. The blessed man has God already, and for this reason, he seeks him. This is what we do. We walk in the law of the Lord, seeking God with all of our heart. So here's how this applies to you and I today. Church, blessing comes, happiness comes, joy comes through obedience to the word of God. And let me ask you this very simply. Do you believe that? I'm not asking for Sunday school answers. I mean, really, on a gut level, at a heart level, do you believe that? Is your life a reflection of that? What is the thing that you are looking to, thinking that, man, if I could just get this, then I would be happy. What God is telling us is that when we pursue him and we walk with him and we live life with him, that will be the true source of joy in our lives. And the great lie of Satan and the great lie of the world is that sin will ultimately bring us more happiness than obedience. That's the lie. That's the essence of temptation is that if you do this, if you sin against God, this will bring you pleasure. And it might bring momentary fleshly pleasure, but in the end, it leads to misery and death. Do you believe that God knows what's best for you? Do you really believe that? As our Father in heaven, let me give you a very deep, profound theological statement this morning. You ready for it? God is not stupid. Write that in your systematic theology book or whatever. God is not stupid. What do I mean by that? When God tells us how to live, he knows what he's talking about. 
When God gives us his commands, they are for our good. The one who made us, who designed us, who designed human life knows that when we live life in accordance with his word, things will go better for us. He made us, he knows us. And so let me assure you, whatever command of God's word you might be struggling with this morning to obey, your heavenly father loves you and he knows you. And every command in his word is intended to lead you into joy, not away from it. Lord, forgive us for the moments that we imagine him as some sort of cosmic killjoy up in heaven, coming up with thou shalt nots to ruin our fun. Every command of his word is intended to lead us into joy if we would but trust him and listen to him. That blessedness, that happiness comes by living life God's way, not in rebellion to it. So this passage is now going to shift from describing the kind of person that is blessed to next showing us the kind of obedience that God desires. The next verses are going to show us the kind of obedience that God desires. First, it's going to talk about diligent obedience. Verse four, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. What this means is that God wants us to take this seriously. He wants us to take our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of obedience seriously, to be diligent in our obedience to the Lord, to make it a top priority, to pay careful attention to it. We all have things that we're diligent about, man. There's things in your life, this is a routine, this is a thing that you've studied up on, things that you're committed to, things that you are absolutely diligent about. We all have things that we're less diligent about, whether it be because of the passing of time or whatever else. Let me have some... Uh, uh, pulpit confessional time for you. Uh, so I am almost done with seminary, almost done with my MDiv. Lord willing, I'm graduating in May 2024, uh, counting down the days. But um, I was super diligent when I first started, guys. I was like A plus, straight A, just working hard, super diligent student. Uh, five years of seminary and two kids will just kind of change that a little bit, uh, just to be honest. But uh, so this semester, I'm taking a Greek class with a couple other guys that are on staff here at Coastal with Christian Conway, who works with our students at the Yorktown campus, and with Hunter Boone, who does worship and student ministry over in the Williamsburg campus. And it's been a great blessing getting to ride with those guys and spend time with them and study with them. But a couple of weeks ago, we're sitting in class and I had my laptop open so it would look like I was taking notes. Uh, but really, I'll just be honest with y'all, and please don't tell my professor if you do have to know him. I'm not paying a lick of attention. Like I'm, I'm checking emails. I'm doing stuff on my computer. I'm trying to, you know, look like I'm taking notes. And then I hear the words that I dread. Nate, what do you think? <laughs> and I was like, gulp. And I give Hunter this look and I'm saying through grated teeth, like, dude, bail me out here. Say something, help me out. And so thankfully another kid in the class answered and I was spared the embarrassment of being called out in front of the class. But the bottom line is I was not being the diligent student that I should have been and that I was four years ago. But God has called us to be diligent in our pursuit of holiness. And I love the example that we have of Ezra. You know, we just spent the fall studying Nehemiah. The book right before Nehemiah, which by the way, a lot of scholars think was one book originally, is the book of Ezra happening at the same time, right beforehand. And this is how Ezra is described in Ezra 7.10. I love this. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What a model for us of what it looks like to be diligent in our pursuit of obedience. How can we be diligent to keep God's precepts? First of all, you got to know them. 
Real simple. You can't obey what you don't know. If we don't know the word of God, then we can't be diligent to obey it. So let me ask you, is it a regular discipline in your life to be reading the word of God? Is it a regular discipline in your life to be attending corporate worship and sitting under the preaching of the word of God with your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be going to small group and discussing the word of God with your small group? We gotta know it. But more than just know it, notice what it says about Ezra. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord. He was intentional to study it. This was more than just a quick glance at a verse. He was diligently studying the word of God. Some of you might say, well, Pastor Nate, that's great for geeks like you, but I don't like to study. It's not my thing. Guys will say that sometimes. You know what, Pastor Nate, I just like, don't like to study. And I'll say, okay, you don't like to study, huh? Well, I bet on your favorite team, you can name the whole roster. You can tell me all their stats for the season. You can tell me where they went to college. You can tell me, you know, where they went to high school, how tall they are, how much they weigh, what their 40 time was, so on and so forth. And tell me again about how you don't like to study. If we can't say amen, we ought to say ouch. Right? We're diligent about what we care about. We're diligent about the things that we value. Let's set our hearts to study the law of the Lord. And, and more than that, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. As we saw in James 1, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So God desires obedience that is diligent, but next, obedience that is desperate. Obedience that is desperate. Verse five, oh, that my ways may be steadfast, in keeping your statutes. That he, this is a cry of longing. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast. It could even be translated, if only my ways were steadfast, Lord. This is a cry of desire and longing. And this is a common theme in Psalm 119. Verse 20 says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. What he's saying is, Lord, I'm like a dog on a hot summer day. I'm longing, I'm panting for your commandments. Something I long for. Guys, when was the last time we could honestly say that was true of us? That we were consumed with longing for the word of God. That we can't wait to get out of bed in the morning because we want to study the word and feast on the word. When was the last time we couldn't wait to pull into the parking lot in church because I wanted to hear the word of God taught? Why is it that we aren't desperate, that we aren't having this intense desire for the word of God? Let me make a suggestion. It's because far too often we are satisfied with the junk food of this world that we're too full for the rich feast that God has provided. It would be like stopping at Taco Bell on the way to Thanksgiving dinner. We fill up on the junk of this world so that we're too full to receive the rich feast that God has for us. Our hearts and our minds are too filled up with worldly things to receive the beautiful feast that God has given us. So what do we do? First of all, we need to repent. We need to be intentional about setting aside that time to seek the Lord. And then we pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will change our hearts and change our desires and give us this hunger for God and this hunger for his word. So the kind of obedience that God desires is diligent, it's desperate. And then finally, it's universal. 
Verse six, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I shall not be put to shame. This grace-empowered obedience severs the root of shame that is caused by sin. Shame is the consequence of sin, isn't it? The first consequence of sin for Adam and Eve was that their sin caused them to run and hide. But when by the power of the Spirit, we choose righteousness, we can then say boldly, I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. But I want to emphasize one word in this verse. That's that little word, all. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. This idea that God is calling us to universal, to comprehensive obedience, that God commands every aspect of our lives from the way that we think, to the way that we feel, to the way that we speak, the way that we dress, the way that we behave, the way that we type, the way that we do everything that we do. Nothing is off limits for God. We are called to universal obedience. I've heard it said before, the Bible is not like trail mix. When you get trail mix, you can pick and choose which parts you want and leave out the rest. You can just say, I just want the M&Ms and raisins, and I'm going to leave everything else or whatever else it might be. The Bible's not like that. God has called us to universal obedience. Now, to be sure, to be clear, there are certain commands in Scripture that because of our place in the history of salvation, the covenant that we're under, the culture that we live in, we're no longer obligated to obey. I'll give you an example. You're not in sin if you had bacon for breakfast this morning. Somebody say amen. You know, you're not in sin if you went to work yesterday. Like there are certain commands that in the flow of redemptive history, scripture makes it clear that we are no longer under. But for those commands that we are under, that we are obligated to obey, we don't get to pick and choose. God calls us to universal obedience. It's not like we can say, to use another school illustration, I got a 95. And a 95 is an A. That's pretty good, Pastor Nate. I can disobey God 5% of the time. But that 95% is fine. But this is what God's word says about that. James 2.10, for whoever, fail, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Think about it this way. Take a window, all right? You picture a window in your mind. Then take a very small hammer. Now, the size of that hammer, it's much smaller than that window. How much of the window do you need to hit with the hammer to break the whole window? Just one small spot. You can say, Pastor Nate, I didn't break the whole window. I just hit one tiny spot of the window. So what? You broke the whole thing. God's law is the same way. James is telling us if we keep the whole thing, but we fail in one point, then we've broken all of it. Here's the point. God has called us to universal obedience, to obey him in everything. Is there a 5% in your life that you are holding back from the Lord? Is there a pet sin that you keep tucked away and think, I'll follow God everywhere else, but not here, not this. I can't give this up. This is my precious. We are called to universal obedience. So we've seen this morning that blessing comes through obedience to the word of God. We've seen this kind of obedience that God desires. And now in the last two verses, we're going to see the overflow in our lives. We're going to see the overflow of obedience in our lives. What does it lead to when we walk in God's word? The first thing is praise. It leads to a life of praise. Verse seven says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. 
Friends, the overflow of obedience is joyful worship. And a heart that is filled with the word and a life that is committed to following Christ will inevitably lead to a lifestyle of worship. I love the way that Colossians 3.16 puts it. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As the word of Christ dwells in us richly, the overflow will be worship. The overflow will be gratitude. So let me be clear. I'm not telling you to praise right now. I'm not saying, hey, you need to go out and praise God. What I'm telling you is when your heart and mind are filled with the word of God, and you are striving to walk with Christ and obey him, praise will happen. It is the natural result. It is the overflow of living life with Christ because we praise what we value. We do it all the time. Why do we talk about our kids so much? Because we value them, because we love them. Why is it that when you go to a restaurant and you get an amazing meal, the first thing you wanna do is leave a review? or you wanna tell people about how good it was because we praise what we value. Why do we talk about the things that we talk about? Because we praise what we value. And when you learn to value Christ and his kingdom above all else, the natural overflow in your life will be a life of praise. Now, let me ask you this. Does that sound like you? If you're being honest this morning, is that the testimony of your life? that day by day, in private and in public, my story and my song is praising my Savior all the day long. That moment by moment, my life is an overflow of worship to King Jesus. Let that be true of us, Lord. The last overflow of obedience here is committed dependence. Committed dependence. Verse 8 is very interesting. It gives us two perspectives. It says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. I will keep your statutes sounds like commitment. It sounds like resolve. It sounds like, God, this is what I am going to do. I am committed to keeping your statutes. I'm saying, this is what I'm going to do. I will keep your statutes. But then the second half of the verse sounds like a cry of dependence and a cry for help. Do not utterly forsake me like a child crying out to their parents, please don't leave. He's saying, I will keep your statutes. I'm committed. Do not utterly forsake me. I'm dependent on you. And I hope you know that growth in Christ-likeness always requires both. It requires both that we would be committed in our pursuit of obedience and that we would be totally dependent on the Lord. We say, Lord, I will be intentional about this. I will be committed to this. I will do this. While understanding at the same time that if your spirit does not work in my heart and life, I can't even take one step in this walk. That I am totally dependent on you. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need both sides. The commitment to follow the Lord and a total dependence upon the Lord. Committed dependence but I just want to meditate on this last phrase as we're coming to a close. The psalmist cries out to the Lord, do not utterly forsake me. Do not utterly forsake me. As we meditate on that, I want you to remember the promise of Hebrews 13, 5, where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what the Lord says to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And 
Can I suggest to you that that translation could be a little stronger? If you look at that verse in Greek, there are five negative words in that one phrase. Five. Strongest negative statement in the New Testament. So let me give you the NWT, the Nate Weiss translation. I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you or forsake you. Do you think God wanted us to get that point? Do you think that mattered to God, that we would get the point? I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you or forsake you. You ever heard the old hymn, How Firm a Foundation? There's the verse that goes like this, that brings this out. That soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Never. As we are on this walk with Christ, as we are walking with Christ, we have this assurance that God will never leave you He will never forsake you. You have the assurance that he loves you, that he delights in you, that he is for you. It says in scripture, do you know this? And it says in Zephaniah chapter three, that the Lord rejoices over his people with loud singing. The Lord rejoices over us with loud singing. God delights in you. He loves you and he likes you. The Lord rejoices over his people. So we have this confidence in him that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And in light of that, we can live our lives as we're walking with Christ, with this life of committed dependence on him as we're walking with him. So let me leave you with two takeaways as we close this morning. The first is to return to the question that we asked in the beginning of the sermon. If blessing comes through obedience to the word of God, then what is the source of your happiness this morning? What is the source of your happiness this morning? As we've seen that true joy and true happiness, true blessedness comes through walking with Jesus. It comes through living life in accordance with his world. And as we've seen this morning, our fundamental problem is that we look for the things of this world to satisfy us, but they never can. As Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter two, that the things of this world are like broken cisterns that can't hold any water, but our God is the fountain of living water the one that never runs dry. We need to come to Christ and learn to find our joy and our satisfaction in knowing him and living for him. C.S. Lewis put this so powerfully and memorably. He wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. Our problem is that we choose the mud pies over the cruise vacation, that we choose the Taco Bell over the Thanksgiving dinner, that we choose the junk of this world over the rich feast that God has offered us in his word. I want you to do this in your mind. I've done this before, but I think this is a helpful diagnostic question for us to do. Don't do this out loud. Do this in your mind. Think about this question. 
man, I would just be happy if I could get blank. I would just be happy if I could get blank. What's your blank? What's your blank? If it is anything other than Jesus Christ, it will let you down. It will, even if it's a good thing. If I could just get this relationship, I would be happy. If I could just get this job, I would be happy. If I could just get this new toy, I would be happy. This new house, this new car. Friends, we are made for God and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. He is the source of infinite joy and delight. In Psalm 1611, it says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In Christ, there is infinite joy that is offered to us. So here's the invitation. Come to Christ and in him find infinite joy, infinite satisfaction, infinite delight. Learn to find your highest joy in God and living life with him and walking in obedience to him and studying his word. And in him, you will find your all in all. Find your happiness, your joy, your delight in Christ. One more takeaway. With this, I'd like to invite up our prayer team. If you came in with a burden this morning, we have people that would love to talk with you and pray with you. I'd like to invite up our worship team as we're going to respond to the Word of God by singing as we close. The last takeaway is a little bit of homework for you, okay? A lot of school metaphors today, so I had to give you some homework. Read Psalm 119. And as you do, I want you to memorize and meditate on your favorite verses that stand out to you. It's a long psalm. It's 176 verses. You can break it up if you need to. But read through this psalm. When you come across a verse that stands out to you, write it on an index card or make a picture on your phone through the Bible app and make it your wallpaper, whatever it is. Read this, memorize those verses, and meditate on them. If you look at your bulletin, we printed on the top the first two verses, verses one and two. I put those there because I'd encourage you to memorize those two verses. They say, blessed is the one who is blameless, who walks in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the one who keeps his testimony, who seeks him with their whole heart. Memorize those verses, and then meditate on them. That means to think about it deeply and to go over in your mind what that verse means and how it applies in every area of your life. We're going to spend the sermon next week talking about that in more detail. How do we treasure God's word? But as we are preparing for that, use this week to read this psalm, to memorize and to meditate on scripture, because here's the deal. We don't just want to read the word of God. We want the word of God to read us. We want this book to transform us. We want to internalize God's word, to store it in our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can use it to renew our minds and to make us into the people that God has created us to be for his glory. So let me encourage you to make that a discipline in your life starting this week. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us the pathway to true blessing that it does not come through pursuing the things of this world, but it comes by pursuing you through following you and walking in obedience to your word. I pray, Father, that you would convict us where we fall short, that you would encourage and motivate us when we're discouraged, that you would challenge us when we're comfortable, and that you would move us ever more forward to becoming more like Christ. 
Lord, you saved us that we should be holy and blameless before you, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God, conform us, transform us, make us more like Jesus for your glory. We love you and we praise you, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.